0: So today in the Reading Corner, I have to admit I'm almost too scared to be introducing Yvette Fielding, who uh, many of you will know from both her time on Blue Peter, but perhaps most recently for her presentation of Most Haunted. Well, Yvette now has written a children's book called The House in the Woods. That's quite an iconic sounding title, and it is a story about ghost hunters. In fact it says the ghost hunter chronicles which leads me to feel this might be the first in a series. Anyway first of all welcome Yvette. Thank you and honestly thank you so
1: much. I'm so honoured to be here and the fact that you want to talk to little old me is, is great so thank
0: you. To begin with just to set this story up it's about three different children and it's start of Halloween and they are sort of challenging themselves to go off to this haunted house in Epping Forest to try out their Ouija board and like all good horror films it seems to encourage us the reader to say don't do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right yes even as I was writing it I was going would you do that and I was thinking yeah, probably. I would probably have done that with friends at that at that time, you know. And I remember the very first time I did a Ouija board. It was on Most Haunted, and I re- I remember one of the cameramen actually halfway through filming it. It was in the Hellfire Caves, <laughs> long tunnels and really scary. And halfway through, it, he just put his camera down on the floor and he said, I'm really sorry, I, I, I can't do this. He said, it's, it's really messing with my head. And he said, I, I, I've got
0: to go. And we could never get him to come back again. Before we get into the story, which um, we, we will do, I want to know where your interest originated
1: Well, I've always, always been fascinated by it, but scared of it at the same time. So my mum was very much into the paranormal. And I always remember growing up in the 70s. There was a programme called Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. And um, he was sort of very sceptical about all of this. And he sort of tried to debunk it all. But some of the things that he reported on was really quite scary. And he also had a magazine that would come out each month to complement the series. So my mum, in her fabulous wisdom, decided to buy the magazine. And inside this particular monthly supplement, there was a... I don't know if you, you can remember these things, but you'd get a free, like, Vinyl disc but it was really floppy, throwaway type thing. You know, she put it on the record player, and these voices came out, and there were voices allegedly from the other side, voices of the dead that Arthur C. Clarke had, had, had recorded. Well my mother ripped the record off the record player and <laughs> threw it in the fire. She went, oh, I'm not having any voices of the dead in my house, you know. But I remember being shocked at my mom's reaction but also absolutely fascinated by the whole thing. And then years and years and years later, It was just a fluke. A friend of ours came to our house and he'd stayed at a place called Michelin Priory in East Sussex. And he was saying how wonderful it was. And then as he was leaving, he said, oh, he said, well, if you fancy going there, you've got to be brave because it's haunted. Apparently there's 13 ghosts. Now I'd been watching Blair Witch, the film, (laughs) a couple of months beforehand. And we both looked at each other, Carl and, and myself, and said, do you fancy spending the night in a haunted house? And could we film it? And I said, yeah, what if we use those night vision cameras like they do on Blair Witch? And I was terrified and we spent all night coming up with the idea of Most Haunted. And the very first episode of Most Haunted, you can actually see the fear and terror on my face. And I've got this short spiky hair. And when I started writing this book, the character has short blonde spiky hair and Mm. it's me, but it's Mm. me as I would have been when I was
0: 13 So you've got three children and in a way they represent different attitudes towards what they're doing. So you've got one who just wants everything to be proven.
1: Yes. So you've got Clovis, who is a very, very intelligent young man, tall for his age, very good looking, wears sort of thick you know, black rimmed glasses, wants to see the logic in everything. And he's only even Clovis and his family know that he's actually a real nerd. You know, he loves delving into research and he does his own blog and he really loves history and finding out about all sorts of things. But he's the sort of let's look at everything logically first before we jump into, you know, oh, it's a ghost. And that's really, really important. And that's something that I've discovered through investigating for 20 years is that you really do need that logical Mm -hmm. side to counteract that hysterical. Oh, my gosh, it's a ghost. So I needed to find a character that would be like that. So I thought, no, that that's Clovis. And my friend, Deb's Gale, who was actually from Jamaica and all her family are from Jamaica, she, I said... I need a family name, a good Jamaican family name. So she really, her and her family in Jamaica, steered me in the right direction. You know, what they're like as a a typical Jamaican family. and I really wanted to to Mm. try and capture that. I've been to Jamaica, I spent six weeks there, and it was just one of my favourite places. Just just Mm. fantastic. By the way, if you hear any strange noises, it's my British bulldog, Watson,
0: (laughs) which is actually, actually in the book, but I changed his name to Boris. It has to be said that having an animal can lighten the mood at some of the most dark and almost threatening moments. Yeah. Because he usually farts, so you know you're kind of
1: <laughs> so true. And people love that sort of you mm. sort of you know mm. someone's made a bad smell or there's a horrendous noise in the room, and it, and it does it breaks the ice. And mm. like that. I really think you need that, mm. like the parrot, Mr. Pig. The fact that he's just comes out with filthy words is quite made me giggle as I was writing. Yeah.
0: Like, I think it ends on one of his words, from what I recall. It certainly <laughs> does. So I want to, to ask you, this, this house in Epping Forest, I'm dying to know. I tried to research to find out whether there was an old house in Epping Forest. Is there?
1: No, there isn't. <laughs> it's all in my mind. But I remember we did a live Most Haunted once around Halloween. And we actually got, we were, with the camera crew, we got lost in Epping Forest. And they had to send the ranger in to rescue us. It's that vast and there's been some terrible things that have happened in Epping Forest. It has a, a complete history of its own. It has a mystery, it has horror to it. it. It's, you know, it can be a beautiful place and at the same time a, a place filled with just awfulness. And so I wanted it to be sort of centered, you know, imagine going into the thick of Epping Forest. You know, I'm finding this dilapidated old building that used to be a, a gamekeeper's cottage, you know, and. And I've investigated some places, you know, that do look like the windows look like they're watching you. And I wanted to bring the building sort of alive a little bit.
0: So back to the story, we've got Tom, Clovis and Eve. They go into this house. They do the thing that I wouldn't do. They get the Ouija board going and they're very frightened by what happens to them there. And something causes them to really rush out of the house and they go home but it seems to have followed them. And one of the most frightening episodes for me, it's still, clo- it's still fairly early in the book, so I feel we're not giving too much away, is the television.
1: It's funny because lots of people have different varying beliefs. Like my husband and I disagree on this. You know, I, I do believe that things uh, can follow you home because there's cases in the past where people believe that's happened, where Carl believes that that's not possible at all. But as far as what happened to Tom and his family, it mirrors again a very classic haunted phenomena, which is electrical items that turn themselves on. And you see it in movies like Poltergeist, you know, where all the all the electric equipment will just suddenly start turning on, and the Hoover's going on on its own, and the lights are flashing on. And I think, oh, I'd die. But I've actually had it happen. We had a radio on an investigation. It was a World War Two radio, which again happens in the book, but it wasn't even connected because it doesn't mm. even have the correct lead to plug into our electricity system. And we were in a, a, a location and uh, in Wales. And it came on, and you hear the static and the crackling. And we, it was only very briefly, but it was there, and it kept happening every couple of minutes. It would, and everyone go, "Oh my god, the radio's come on!" And we found that absolutely fascinating. So, where is the electrical source coming from? And my theory, my belief—it's not my theory, but I, be- I believe in this theory, which is that spirit need and radiate with some sort of electricity mm. that we're not aware of and they need our energy which again is electricity to make things happen or to manifest and so that's why i thought it was important because that's part of haunting it's part of paranormal phenomena using electrical equipment and uh, i've put that in a little bit yeah sorry it scared you <laughs>
0: <laughs> so they do run back home and I think this first part of the novel feels very much like classic. It could be classic Hollywood. You know, you've got the scraping of the uh, noises upstairs. We've got the pathetic fallacy of the weather and the wind blowing. And you could see this on film. And then something happens. They, They go and tell Eve's Uncle Rufus and he doesn't react how they expect. And it seemed to me here was a shift because now we're not in the realm of superstition exactly, but more in the realm of investigation. Yeah, I thought
1: it was important because I I wanted our three heroes to have somebody to look up to and to teach them about investigating and about another world. And Uncle Rufus is this wonderful, quirky character that I came to in my mind, And Eve and her uncle Rufus have had a terrible loss. Eve lost her mother and father. Uncle Rufus lost his wife in in a train crash. And Uncle Rufus sees his wife as a ghost. And he's so bereft and so in love with her that he's desperate to see her again. So he's then begun to invent these wonderful machines But of course, Eve, Tom and Clovis know nothing about this. And he has this room at the top of this very quirky house that they live in, which is a have taken from my own house, which is very twisted, black and white, beamed, tall, thin house that's squashed in between these uh, council flats that have been built over the years by the side of them. And Uncle Rufus kind of goes along with that, with his eccentricity. So, you know, he's that classic old fashioned professor with the patches on his on his old cardigan that he always buttons up incorrectly, you know and but he's quite young you know he's young he's not he's not an old man, and his sort of beloved companion is Boris the bulldog which goes with him everywhere and he he sort of spends most of his free time when he's not teaching at the university up in this attic room that Eve is not allowed to go into, and so he's created all these machines, and when he discovers. That Eve, Tom and Clovis have done this ridiculously stupid thing, going off on their own to Epping Forest to do a witch. I mean, how ridiculous they've, Such a stupid thing to do. And they've filmed what's happened and they are so frightened that they need to tell somebody and they trust Uncle Rufus. They've all grown up with him. And of course, he yells at them. He's so angry, as any parent would do. You know, you'd be livid. But then he's intrigued because he watches the video and they've caught this amazing black shadow that seems to sort of um, encompass them all. And Uncle Rufus, well, that's it. You know, he's absolutely mesmerized and he feels that he can help them. But he also has to share with them why he can help them and why he has such knowledge on the paranormal. And so he takes them up to his attic room. And they cannot believe what they see because it's this big room and it's full of the most bizarre equipment, ghost hunting equipment. And so begins this wonderful relationship where he becomes their teacher. He looks after them. He's their guardian. And they just are so keen to learn. And Clovis is beside himself because it's just everything that he's ever dreamed of. And then he introduces
0: them to other characters within the paranormal world. I have to say that the description of Uncle Rufus's room was one of my favourite bits in the book, the the ceiling with the stars that he's created. I thought, oh, I would so love a room like that. (laughs) In the second part of the novel, they inevitably go back to investigate. And it seems to me that ghosts appear in stories, they say, it's for one of two reasons. One might be to help the living in some way that have some kind of problem. And the other is because they want you to put something right. Um, And that's true in this story as well. Tell us a little bit about the bit you're going to read to us.
1: So Uncle Rufus has said, look, we have to go back. This spirit needs help. And they discover without saying too much that this gentleman was basically a hero during World War Two. And they think that he was possibly captured and imprisoned uh, somewhere within the region of this house. So they have to go back to communicate with the spirit and and help him. He needs help. And they find themselves underneath this building, which is just a maze of tunnels. And they're coming across a variety of, of ghosts that still believe that World War II is raging on. And so they've split up, Tom and Clovis are together and Eve and Uncle Rufus and Boris are together and they're both at different ends of the tunnel. Tom and Clovis stepped into another room. This one was long and thin and on each side of the walls were narrow bunk beds. There's enough beds in here for quite a lot of people. It's bizarre to think that the enemy were down here secretly. Tom walked down one side of the room, Clovis the other. As they came to the centre, Tom stopped abruptly. What is it? asked Clovis, moving his torch about. Tom didn't answer. Shaking, he lifted his arm and pointed to the back wall. Clovis followed his friend's terrified gaze and to his horror saw a tall, dark figure standing in the corner. The man, if indeed it was a man, had his back to them and he wasn't moving at all. Hello whispered Clovis, stepping closer to the figure. What are you doing? gasped Tom, pulling his friend back. Let's get the professor in here. I don't like the look of this. Ignoring his friend, Clovis stepped forward again. Hello? Can you hear me? Please, Clovis, let's go. Tom was really scared now. As they shuffled closer towards the dark silhouette, the temperature began to drop dramatically. Still, the figure did not move. Get an EMF meter out, Tom. I'm just thinking, it could be something simple like a mannequin, you know, the kind to hang clothes on. But if the EMF goes off, the closer we get, then it's very possible it could be a ghost. Tom took out the little machine and held it at arm's length. Sure enough, the sound of static electricity bristled around them and the lights flashed in a frenzy. OK, can we go now? Asked Tom, stepping back. I think we can safely say that that dark, ghoulish-looking figure is a ghost and I don't fancy another encounter with a dead German soldier. Ignoring Tom, Clovis leaned forward and brought his hand up slowly to try to touch the figure. They watched in horror as Clovis's hand disappeared right through its dark, shadowy body. Tom was right. It was a ghost. Clovis had seemingly woken something within it, as the black shape twitched unexpectedly. Its head whipped round violently to reveal a vision that would give Tom and Clovis nightmares for years to come. The tall black figure seemed to be wearing a long black coat. On top of its head sat a German soldier's cap and fixed to it a silver badge with skull and crossbones that glinted in the torchlight. They couldn't make out its face. It was too dark, but then the ghost took one large, slow, purposeful step towards them and when Tom and Clovis saw the full apparition standing in front of them both boys knew that they were in trouble all of Tom's breath rushed from his body Clovis's knees buckled the tall menacing figure towered above them both its head bent over the two boys as if scouring their faces Tom and Clovis looked up to see who was peering at them, but the Nazi's face was covered completely by a horrendous black rubber gas mask. Two large glass eye holes stared back at them, and deep, rasping breaths came from the rubber face, in and out, in and out. The long, gurgling, desperate sighs of a monster. The figure raised and outstretched its long arms, making a violent movement as if to grab the boys. Two seconds was all it took. Clovis and Tom both screamed in abject terror and clambered over each other to get out of the narrow space. Tumbling about on the floor, their limbs entwined, making it almost impossible for them to get up and make their escape. Eventually, without looking back, they untangled themselves and scrambled on their hands and knees out through the door. Terror fizzed through their bodies as they fled the area, running down the dark corridor. They stopped, suddenly, and stood together, neither one ashamed of the fact that they hung on to each other for dear life. Panting and out of breath, they whipped their heads about, looking to see if the hideous entity had followed them. Can you see it? gasped Tom. No, can you? replied Clovis. They both stopped breathing, as the sound of loud Heavy footsteps echoed from behind them. Can you hear that? whispered Clovis. Yeah, I hear it. They clung onto to each other even tighter, terrified and glued to the spot. The footsteps were getting louder and louder until the boys were convinced that the odious ghostly creature would be upon them at any second. Then they heard an even worse sound. It was the noise they had both witnessed earlier. A deep, rasping breathing noise the gasping and wheezing of the gas mask in and out in and out the gurgling rasping breaths were so loud now that clovers and tom both knew that if they dared to even peek out into the darkness they would come face to face with a horrifying vision of the most terrible kind i squeeze your hand tom just run and keep going till we find the professor Clovis squeezed Tom's hands and the two
0: boys ran
1: like never before
0: it really struck me listening to you read how much of this is about sounds and that they seem to build this even more than what you see a sense of anticipation is that what it's like for you really when you're out there ghost hunting is is sound a really big part of it
1: Yes, absolutely. You have electronic voice phenomena, which also plays a huge part in these books. And this is is something that they use quite a lot. And I use an awful lot in my investigation. So sound plays a huge part in ghost hunting um, around the world. You've got paranormal groups that really lock on to this EVP, electronic voice phenomena and, and, and trying to record ghost voices and sounds. And we've picked up and recorded so many voices, unexplained voices that defies logic. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah, sound is a, is a huge part of, of mm-hmm.
0: investigating. Obviously, the book, this book, along with other ghost stories, is intended to make us frightened. I mean, we want to be frightened by them. If we're not, they're, they're not good <laughs> enough. So, <laughs> we want to be frightened. But is it something that we should be frightened of? Or should we just have a sense of wonder?
1: Obviously, many people will be frightened of it because it's the unexplained. You know, there are no experts in the world of the paranormal. There just aren't. The only people that are experts are people that have passed on. So I think, of course, you're going to be fearful of it. I was fearful of it. I still am in certain situations. You know, you will go into a a, a location that is full of negative energy. And therefore, what happens is you're going to be naturally fearful of it. But I have started to, to see the wonder in it. And that's a great word that you use there wonder. It is a wondrous blessing that myself and my team have had to be able to communicate with the other side, through this knocking phenomena that I talk about in the book, we've gone to locations and they've tapped out the most amazing messages that we've then given to the curator or historian of the location. And they've blown, their minds are blown. How did you know this? And to me, that I, just, I do a little dance. I'm so excited by it. I have a, a, a wonderful relationship with my own father who passed on. And he taps out messages for me, and it's made my life so much richer. And I'm such a happier person because of my
0: belief. Just two more questions. In your acknowledgments, you say you thank you to your editor for making me look at things differently, and that intrigued me. What was (laughs) it that she made you look at differently? Just sort of when
1: she was going through things and saying, "Would this happen to Clovis, or would this happen to Eve? Would she really?" have done this and I'll go back and I'll go to bed at night and I'll wake up and I'll think no Chloe's absolutely right she wouldn't would I have reacted in that way and so she just made me look at things differently on how I wrote things and reactions of people and I really had to go deep into myself and almost you know imagining myself again in that situation and Chloe was right every time.
0: What can you tell us about what we can expect from Tom Clovis and Eve next?
1: Well, the next book goes a little darker. So we've moved on and it's the summer and the working title of the book is called Whitechapel, which is actually where everybody lives. Mm -hmm. The gentleman that you encounter within on the first page, actually, he comes back with a vengeance and he is the ghost of Jack the Ripper.
0: I was going to say Whitechapel, it conjures up all sorts of yes, things.
1: Exactly, <laughs> And I really had to make sure my research was, oh, and it's such a huge topic, isn't it? But I did just make one discovery and it absolutely fascinated me. Eve, Tom and Clovis are introdu- it, it, sort of, it's getting darker now. So they've experienced an awful lot in the first book. But what happens is, um, there's a wonderful character that emerges at the end of of book one, who is this, I based her on Margaret Rutherford, who, for those of you who don't know, played the best Miss Marple in my eyes. And she is um, Detective Inspector Rutherford. And she talks like this, you see. And um, she has this amazing cape and this, she doesn't look like a, a detective inspector, but she has known Professor Rufus for many years And that gives us a clue that there's something more to Uncle Rufus than we first learned. And so Detective Inspector Rutherford notifies uh, Uncle Rufus and the children that there is a terrible haunting that has just begun in a junior school in Whitechapel. And um, it is the haunting of two children who... Are presenting themselves in a very frightening way, and they are dressed in white and they are dripping with water everywhere they go, and they're terrifying everybody at this school. And not only that, but this horrendous man in a black tall hat and a black cloak, he's also seen in the school. And because their ghosts of two children, Detective Inspector Rutherford thinks that this would be a good case
0: for the our three protagonists to be involved in. It's really interesting. It starts with three children cycling into Epping Forest and sort of opens up from there. Do you know it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you, Yvette? I thoroughly enjoyed The House in the Woods. Can't wait to read the second book. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I wish all my interviews were as lovely as this.